Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A., and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. Today on Who's That Star, we have another Lansing local. He has lived in the Lansing area all of his life and graduated from Hazlitt High School. He attended Michigan State University, where he received a bachelor's degree in psychology and secondary social studies education, and Eastern Michigan University for his master's degree in educational leadership. This star has worked for LCC for over 10 years in various roles, but has always enjoyed the various ways he has been able to support students in each of them. Outside of LCC, he has a variety of interesting and sometimes unusual jobs, including student teacher, postal worker, custom historical interpreter, but I got to ask about that, and professional Girl Scout. This star currently lives in Lansing with his wife, Brittany, and their two dogs, Katie and Lily. Okay, are you ready to learn who's today's star? Audience, welcome Andrew George from Student Access. Hey, Lisa, thanks for having me. We're so glad to have you, um, Andy. I've known you for quite a while, and I think that you're a cool dude, but (laughs) I want everybody else to get a chance to learn about you and what you do here for the college. So you ready to get started? Yes, ma'am. All right. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what's important to you in your life right now? Sure. So, I mean, you kind of gave my intro um, to say I'm an educator at heart. Um, That's really my passion. Obviously, I trained to do it in a couple of different schools, Mm -hmm. um, and I work in an educational capacity here at LCC. What's most important to me at work would be helping to support students. Um, And like you had mentioned, I've had a variety of different roles. Presently, I work in the Center for Student Access. Mm -hmm. Um, So my primary work is with students with disabilities, um, which is really awesome. A lot of what it is that I do is clearing the way so that they can be successful. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, they're doing all the hard work. Like, right. Yeah. I'm the one who's just kind of getting accessible formats and, and various other things, but really helping to support those students who, you know, in a lot of cases haven't traditionally been well served right. by the education system in general, not just higher ed. But Yeah, no, no, I get it. And so it's important to me to be able to support those folks. Outside of work, I mean, it's family. I love my wife and mm-hmm. my folks and my, my siblings and stuff. And our dogs are basically most of our attention when we're at home. But. Right. They do. They take pets sake a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go on. Tell us a little bit more about your role here. Sure. So you say you support students. And how do you do that again? In lots and lots of different ways. <laughs> so my actual position is access consultant, which is 
not terribly instructive. Um, day to day, you know, I could be working with a student to approve accommodations for a class mm-hmm. um, or for helping students work through a physical access issue on campus. I do a lot of work with alternative formats, so providing like electronic versions of textbooks for students who may need to use those in a text-to-speech program, okay. or students who may be blind or have a visual impairment who need a screen reader. Mm. You know, they need things formatted in such a way that it, it, it works with the technology that they're using. I also directly support students, um, particularly students that have higher needs or maybe more barriers mm-hmm. than, than you know, your average student with disabilities. Why help with reading and scribing and doing those things for those certain students in classrooms and in their tests, depending on what the situation is. So would would I self-identify as a student? Would would it come from, you know, high school? I know there's a different in services provided from when you're in high school and you're receiving some services versus when you're in a higher education setting. How does that work? Everybody comes to us from kind of a different place. Okay. And higher ed students are required to self-identify okay. um, as people with disabilities. And so if there are students who've received accommodations in high school, it's pretty easy. They've already got a 504 plan or an mm-hmm. IEP, an individualized educational plan that we can use to set up accommodations here at LCC. Um, like you mentioned, there are some things that sometimes occur in high school that we can't do, like making significant modifications to like an exam. Right. Like, you know, instead of... 20 questions, you have to answer 15 questions, which again is something that can happen in K-12. It just can't happen in higher ed. Right. And that's a difference that Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times people don't really understand. Mm -hmm. And and I'm glad that you talked about that because it's different. I think in in high school, they, I forgot the terminology that they use, but there's one like they, they try to customize it Mm -hmm. for your success. Whereas when you're in higher ed, like it's, We'll give you some accommodations, but mm-hmm. you got to still. Yeah, the really with the the law under like in K twelve, the the goal is to is success. Mm-hmm. Like students must be successful, and schools have to do whatever they they can to get that student to a place where they're successful. In higher education, it's a little different. The law changes, and so our mandate changes a little bit. Okay. In higher ed, what we're required to do and what we we strive for is ensuring that students have the same access to courses, materials, environments, experiences, whatever it happens to be, in roughly the same way without making huge changes Mm -hmm. to what's being assessed or what's being asked of a student to do. Students with disabilities in higher ed do the same work. There may be things about it that are different. They're testing, uh, extra testing time is something that's pretty common for accommodations in both K-12 and and higher ed. I mean, it's very common in higher ed, but... That change, you know, having double time or something like that doesn't really change what the instructors are assessing. Right. It's it's just opening up the time so that student can work through whatever process they need to work through or whatever kind of roadblocks pop up. The ticking clock syndrome is something I hear from a lot of students, mm. particularly students who might have ADHD or anxiety. Just focusing on the clock itself can be really distracting, and Mm. that can derail folks. Um, And so things like extra time don't change what the instructor's assessing. The students still have to answer all the same questions. Right. They're just given some more time in light of the fact that, you know, it may take them a little bit longer. They may get pulled away by distractions like that ticking Mm. clock. Yeah, and that's interesting. And I think that's a a good distinction, right? Mm -hmm. People need to understand that, and I know you guys explain that. 
What about people who have never been identified in high school? It's actually more common than you think. There are a lot of folks who, you know, when they come to, to think about disability and accommodations, it's really that kind of high school to college kind of pipeline. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of folks out there that, I mean, they may have come up in a time before the ADA mm -hmm. um, where there weren't as many rules and schools weren't as good about diagnosing folks with things and getting them services. Right. Or people who might have an acquired disability because of something like a, a TBI oh, or yeah. another situation like that. In those cases, obviously, we're not going to have a 504 plan or an IEP, but we can accept evaluations um, from psychologists, letters mm. from doctors. We've got a little form that we give students if they're not sure where to go that they can take into their doctor and be like, hey, this is the information that we need. Okay. But yeah, people who aren't high school kids or didn't have accommodations in high school often will have disabilities for a lot of the reasons that I mentioned before. Right. And so for us, it's about figuring out how we can get documentation of that so we can provide services. Because I, I would say even, I'm not trying to get you a whole lot of business, but in the sense of if someone is struggling, right, mm -hmm. like it's still a place that they could stop to see like mm -hmm. if if that could be the the reason why they're struggling, yeah. right? Like if they need some assistance and don't know and never have been identified, I think it's a positive place to start, you know? Yeah. And that's a conversation that myself, and my colleagues have pretty frequently with students. If they're like, you know, you know, I, I, I'm 35, like I didn't have accommodations, but I've always had this problem. Mm -hmm. You know, we can kind of help them work through the documentation piece and, and help get things figured out in the long term so they have the accommodations that they need. Yeah. One of the things I do want to mention, too, because we're talking about how accommodations can help with students who are struggling. One of the things that I see a lot with students mm -hmm. um, that I just want to call attention to is that Many folks feel like getting accommodations is kind of getting something over or like not really doing the job yourself, like not really right. getting it done in the same way that your classmates are. And I always want to take some time to address that because accommodations, like we had mentioned, are like fundamentally changing the curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Or what you're being asked to do as a student. We're just adding in some things to allow for some understanding and really to level the playing field because right. we all learn differently. You know, we all have different levels of ability and disability depending on what our situation is. And so what we're trying to do is figure out where those barriers are because mm -hmm. of a disability. And then how can we minimize those without changing your curriculum? So, again, you're doing the same thing. You know, you're completing the same work, but we're giving you some allowances like extra time or being able to test someplace that is distraction reduced like the testing center mm -hmm. that, you know, really are just mitigating those barriers without... Again, trying to get something over on somebody. Right, yeah, no, I, I understand that too, Andy, because I'll see students that come in the office, and, and what really hits me is that students that had some struggles in high school, then they want to come to college and automatically think that those struggles have disappeared, right? Yep. And I'm like, we're here to give you some help. And it's not, like you said, it's not different. You're still doing the work. You're mm -hmm. still doing them 25 problems that everybody else doing. You just may have a little bit more time to do it mm -hmm. because of circumstances that are individualized to that person. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think it's a great place. I think the staff over there is great. Um, I think when people meet with you, they feel better. Good. Right? Like the anxiety you're a good person for this spot because you 
I think you got a calming effect. So. I try. It's It can be really anxiety producing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. you need somebody that's like, hey, cool. Out. I got you. We're going to figure this out. So I think this is a good thing. So can you tell me how you got started here at LCC? So I actually was a, a master's student in Eastern Michigan at the time, and I was looking around for work. I was planning on moving down to Ypsilanti, but I was applying for some things here because I was still living in Lansing. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting a job with the, it was the assessment center. It's testing services now. It was ten, like 10 years ago, like literally last week. Wow, <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> um, and I, like you'd mentioned, I attended MSU right out of school, which I... <laughs> I continually regret every time I open up that student loan bill, you know, but I hear you. I really came to love even in, in that kind of, I mean, testing was a great and a supportive environment and it still is. They're mm-hmm. actually really great over there, but I learned a lot about what it means to be a professional, what it means to work with students who are coming from, you know, a variety of different backgrounds. Right. It really, I like, I fell in love with community colleges because Universities are important and they're mm-hmm. an important part of an educational system, right. but the sheer breadth and width of folks that I get to meet mm-hmm. and their experiences and the ways in which I can help, it just, you know, it, it's, it catches you. It does. It like I, I didn't know that I would fall in love with it, but I did yeah. like the work is meaningful. Yeah. Not that it's not meaningful other places, but right. Like it's, it's the right place for me. No, no, I agree. I feel I found home when I came to yeah. a community college and yeah. just for the variety of people you meet and it's just a different setting. I forgot that you had worked in testing, that mm-hmm. you started out in testing and then went to school and mm-hmm. worked your way into another position. And Yeah, I work, I work for Matt Lemon when I first got started. Here. Right. Yes, yes. Matt's a good guy. What do you like most about what you do here at LCC? I like that it's a little bit different every day mm-hmm. and that I I get to learn so many different things that I don't know that I would have learned otherwise. Right. With the nature of the work that we do, a lot, well, basically all of it is based on what the student's experience is. Mm-hmm. What barriers are they experiencing? What kind of, you know, countermeasures, accommodations can we put into place? So there's a lot of kind of strategic thinking there are some accommodations that are pretty common across things like the extended time for testing. But I mean, we sometimes get into situations where we're working through a problem with a student and their instructors. And, it, you know, I don't want to say it's like a brain teaser, but like we're just trying to we're trying to figure out how to find a solution that, that meets everybody's needs. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where that job becomes so interesting because everybody different mm-hmm. and you're working with a different instructor, a different student different issues and concerns and you have to try to see how you can make it all fit together. So Absolutely. I, yeah, that is, would be like a puzzle. Yeah. I think that's cool though. That, and it's a way to, uh, you know, keep you coming back. And that's my next question maybe, but it's like, it says, tell me about why you work at LCC and you kind of explained that, but like, what is it that keeps you coming to work and so passionate about it? Well, I mean, there, there are certain moments and I know, I mean, you're, I know you've been in education for a while, Lisa, so you know about this too, but there are times when, like, for instance, last spring, I, I was in Gannon, I was in in the break room or something. And there was a guy who came to the door and he was knocking on the door. He saw me go back there 
And I, I came out and I recognized him. He was a student that I worked with before who mm. was one of the students we mentioned before. He was an older guy who was coming back to school after a little while who had always had problems with, um, you know, with schoolwork and had just recently figured out like, oh, it's because I have a disability. It's mm. because I have this thing. And so I went out and I said, hi, like, hey, how's it going? He's like, you know, I just wanted to let you know. Like I'm graduating like hey. next week, like I'm graduating <laughs> like last spring and it, it, you know, your help was really important to being able to, for, to have me do that. Right. And it's, it's nice being, I just like being a small part of people's success. Yeah. Like, and again, I, I'm not going to claim more, more glory than, than is due. Students are the ones who are doing the hard work. Right. But, but no, it, it is, but you play a role. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I realized that, nope, I'm not doing the work but I'm supporting, mm -hmm. right? You know, and they can come back to me and we'll problem solve and mm -hmm. we'll figure things out. You get to see how you play a role, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people don't always get that opportunity. Yeah. And so it makes a difference. Yeah, and it's, you know, with the work that we do, it runs the gamut. I mean, there, there could be a student who having that little bit of flexibility on attendance like, yeah. because they have a chronic health condition, like that's what made the difference for right. them. Or even something that, you know, we're going into a semester knowing that we're going to be doing a fair amount of work to get things ready to make sure the student has them when, when they need them. Mm -hmm. Um, and like for, for me, both of those things are, are cool. Like what, like, you know, we, we got something out of the way for you. Like right. we don't have to worry about yeah, it. Like yeah. we've got you the things that you need when you need them. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just really cool to be a small part of that. Oh, that's, I think so, too. Okay, well, let's learn a little bit about you from outside of work. Like, <laughs> what is a subject you geek out about that is a topic that you love to learn about? Oh, man, I'm a huge dork, so there's a lot of things. That <laughs> um, I, I was a history major in college, and so I've always been kind of fond of that. And I know, I think you had a question about that Yeah, earlier. I wanted to know about that job. Yeah, so I was a a costumed historical interpreter um, at Fort Mackinac on Mackinac, Michigan, oh. Mackinac Island, Michigan. And so if you've ever been up to Fort Mackinac, there are these, these crazy dudes who wear like blue wool in the summer and they fire the cannons and the rifles and do like court martial reenactments and that kind of thing. And so I did that for a summer. Oh, really? Um, which is really cool. And what's that called again? It's a, a hist historical interpreter. Wow. Yeah. Okay. See, you know, you just got all these different names. So, like, so do you do, like, the time periods, mm -hmm. like, Civil War? Mm -hmm. Do you do that, like, in reenactments and stuff like that? I haven't really, I have some family members who do reenactments. Um, my uncle's really big into that. Um, and I've gone with them a few times when I was younger. With this, it wasn't so much reenacting, like, a particular battle or a particular event. It mm. was we weren't even really portraying people like actual people who lived. We were ourselves and we were using the fort and artifacts like the rifles and our okay. uniforms to connect people to the history of that place. Got you. Okay. That makes um, sense. Cause I was getting, I thought you were doing reenactments and that's different totally, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, some of it would look similar. We, we fire, like we'd fire rifles every couple of hours. We'd fire the cannon off. Oh, like if you've okay. ever been in the, in Marquette park on Mackinac Island and the, Cannon goes off. That yeah. was us. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's interesting, though. Yeah, it. It. I mean, really, it was just a license to sit around and talk about history with everybody. Like, <laughs> and like, and and you enjoyed that. Yeah, it was great. Um, I'm also a huge video game nerd. Oh, a video game. 
retro video games, huge fan. And like Donkey Kong retro or well, yeah, like Donkey Kong and like I came up with like the the original Nintendo and like the Sega Genesis and all oh, that. Yeah, you like go that era. Way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've actually been doing some reading and things and there there's actually a lot of work in that community kind of dovetailing with history, focusing on making sure that things like video games, which are, you know, part of our culture, are still accessible and still open. And it's a huge challenge, but there's a lot of people doing really cool work about making sure that games and things are preserved for future generations. Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm so old that, like, I remember the first PlayStation Mm -hmm. and the Nintendo. Yeah, me too, man. What's the little game? What was some... The 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 Game Game Boy. Yeah, the Game Boy. And then we even had... You know, it was like the little football, mm-hmm. and it was a little. It's like thing. the the Mattel football. Yeah, yeah. that look. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah, we had the we had the original Nintendo, and we got it because my mom wanted to shoot ducks because they they had yeah. duck hunt. I don't uh-huh. remember that. Yep, I remember. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny that I, they would think those games are not even fun now, probably. But yeah, you never know. Yeah, but I'm glad that's something that. You enjoy doing and preserving. Those, to me, are the real games. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, do you live by any piece of advice or a motto? I always like, and I'm not sure I'm going to get it quite right, but the the Socrates, if if I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. Mm. And like, I know that that's probably apocryphal too. Like, it's probably just not legit at all. But it's the same kind of thought behind you don't know what you don't know, like, which is also another good thing. And it's... For me, it's it's helpful personally and professionally. Like I, it's helpful because you can avoid the Dunning Kruger effect and all that. <laughs> like, I think it's important to not really to to, I guess, underestimate the things that you know because there's always more out there that you don't know. Right. Yeah. You can be a learner. Like yeah. you're still open to learning it. Mm-hmm. I just just because I've done this for twenty years doesn't mean there's an aspect that I still can't learn from and learn about. Absolutely. And I mean, it's helpful even working with students too, because, you know, you have students who come in who might have the third piece of ADHD documentation that I've seen today. Like, and and the thing, but what I like about what you just said, Andy, is like, you know how sometimes they talk about implicit bias, right? Mm -hmm. That's a way to combat Mm -hmm. implicit bias. Agreed. Because when you don't think you know something about it, person or a subject mm-hmm. or whatever you're open to mm-hmm. see what it is you can learn about it and Absolutely. so I think I think that's a great model yeah I, I like that. I'm gonna keep that in my head whether it's quoted right or wrong I think it's cool yeah and, it, and it's I mean great work with, with students too because even though you know this may be a student who has documentation I've seen before who has similar kind of barriers yeah. those students are all different and different the, nuances exactly yeah. and and that's really what makes all the difference and so having an open mind to that, you know, fighting against implicit bias, yeah. it goes a long way. Yeah, it's that's important. true. That is so true. So do you consider yourself an introvert or extrovert? Introvert for sure. <laughs> and you do this job. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to tell you, Lisa. I, I don't know. I, I've, I enjoy the work, but definitely at the end of a long day, like I need to go and shut my brain off. You right. Know? No, I get that too. I think that I'm an introvert kind of like yeah. I can show and talk and do everything but I still need that quiet time mm-hmm. like I need to just shut stuff down okay so that's good to know so um 
we're almost done. We keep, I can talk all day. And so <laughs> I have a lot of questions, but I do want to ask you two more questions. Sure. I want to ask you who inspires you and why? You know, and it, it may be a little corny, but I, I'd have to say my father. Mm. Um, my dad is probably even more introverted than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For him, family is always something that's been very important. And I think whether he'd admitted it or not, he's he's been a lifelong learner himself. Uh-huh. Like he ended up taking a management dis- or position from a technical position in his late 30s, early 40s, and like learned to be a manager and, and did an excellent job with that sort of thing. So there's lessons and things that I pulled from him. Mm-hmm. But he, like I said, whether he admits it or not, he's learned all sorts, like he's learned how to do every sort of thing that needs to be done around the house. <laughs> like, Yeah, you just admire his... Yeah, he's like, yeah. you know, he's like, he's going to figure it out. And, yeah. you know, that's that's something that I've always kind of admired, that his devotion to family, his his willingness to learn and try and do things mm-hmm. and then taking on challenges and, and whatever kind of lessons I can take from him about managing, like being a manager myself, a lot of my approach is kind of lifted <laughs> straight up from what we've talked about and the way that he works with people. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a wonderful person to have inspire you, you know, uh, and you can see the lessons, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a good thing. Well, I already know. I probably know this question, but I'm going to ask it because I like to ask this question to most of the guests. Are you go green or go blue? Oh, go green for life, my friend. Okay, because I thought for a minute you might try to trick me and say go blue. Like, I don't know, but I'm glad to have the time to talk with you today, Andy. Um, I think that you do great work. Thank you, Lisa. And I think that... uh, you help a lot of students, and I think your department is important, mm-hmm. and people need to, you know, hear about it. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on Who's That Star today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me out. I I was happy to talk about this, and I'm happy to talk to it or talk about it to anybody who might be interested in talking about accommodations at LCC. But I also wanted to say thank you too, Lisa. I mean, in addition to being a wonderful host, you are also an excellent academic advisor. So. Um, thank you. I'll pay you to find out. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. I um, I like what I do, and I feel like I'm helping, mm-hmm. and I make a difference. So it's a great job, and I think we both do that well together. So yeah. I'm glad you took the time, and I'm glad our audience got a chance to learn about um, Andrew George and if you get a chance and you feel like you have some questions about maybe you could benefit from some accommodations or maybe you want to figure out how to get that process started, please check the department out Mm -hmm. because it's not just Andy that's good over there. It's a lot of other people that maybe I can get to come on here as well. (laughs) I'll try and talk them into it. That's right. Talk them into it for me. Audience, I will see you next time on Who's That Star, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Who's That Star. I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out Who's That Star. 
featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. If you're considering returning to school, exploring career options, or needing support in life transitions, Lansing Community College has the Adult Resource Center available to qualified students. The Adult Resource Center staff provides one-on-one -on -one appointments, registration assistance, referrals to community and campus resources, tuition and childcare grants, academic advising, and other helpful tools to help with your educational career. To find out more information, visit lcc.edu and search Adult Resource Center. I'm Ben Utech. I played high school, college, and pro football, helping my team win the 2006 championship. It was an amazing day, but it can't compare to the joy I feel every day with my loving wife and three beautiful daughters. My football career ended after I suffered my fifth concussion. Did you know that over a million athletes suffer a concussion each year? That includes boys and girls, every age, every type and level of sport. It isn't always clear that a player has had a concussion. So parents, athletes, and coaches need to learn about concussion signs and symptoms. The American Academy of Neurology recommends athletes thought to have a concussion be immediately removed from play and not returned until assessed by a healthcare professional trained in concussion. This isn't just about sports. It's about your brain. When in doubt, sit it out. Learn more at aan.com concussion. That's aan.com concussion. A message from the American Academy of Neurology. Thank you for listening to LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I host a show called The Safety Plan. The Safety Plan is about the latest cyber scams and how to avoid them. You can catch The Safety Plan here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for another edition of Equity. Equity is a play on words spelled E-Q-U-I dash T-E-A. Why? Because I just love sharing a good cup of tea. Equity is designed to provide you with tips on issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion to enhance your everyday life. Today's topic is Starting Your Diversity Journey. Starting Your Diversity Journey. And here's just a few tips to get you on your journey. First, educate yourself. Begin to find tips, tools, resources, even neighbors that you can speak to about what it means to be diverse and have a diverse mindset. Number two, question. So we got educate yourself and then 
question yourself. Question whether or not this is really important to you. Find reasons why you want to start a DEI initiative, diversity, equity, inclusion, or why you want to learn more. Thirdly, understand yourself. Understand that you're going to need time for making errors, time for grace, and time for learning. Understand that it's okay to make mistakes. It just has to be acknowledged and making sure that you keep moving forward. Number four, involve yourself. So again, we've got educate yourself, question yourself, understand yourself, and fourth, involve yourself. Begin to be a part of conversations that might be unique or different than what you've normally had. Have individuals talk to you about your journey and information that you want to learn. Involve yourself in committees and exercises that will allow you to engage on a deeper level of thinking. Lastly, I want you to transform yourself. That's right. Educate yourself, question yourself, understand yourself, involve yourself, and lastly, transform yourself. Well, how do I do that? Through knowledge. You can have so much power by transforming your mind and thinking. Begin to reach out to individuals that are different than you, from different cultures, backgrounds, different perspectives, and begin to transform your thinking to become a better you. Often ask, where do I get started on my diversity journey? Well, it begins with yourself. Educating, questioning, understanding, involving, as well as transforming. Now go ahead and grab your favorite cup of tea and take a sip on all of these great tips. This has been another edition of Equa Tea. We'll see you next time. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in April to the Black Box Stage, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents Tartuffe, a classic comedy play written by Moliere. This play revolves around Tartuffe, who is a fraud and pious imposter that manages to win the respect of a prominent household, only to follow up with scandalous deeds. Tartuffe will be featured April 12th through the 16th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. My dentist said I had to see an oral and maxillofacial surgeon because my wisdom teeth were impacted. I got them out and had an uneventful recovery. The pain was becoming unbearable. I didn't know that the roots of wisdom teeth can lengthen and become entangled around the nerves in the lower jaw. My surgery was more complicated and I had to reschedule my family vacation. One of my wisdom teeth never came all the way in. In my 30s, it started to hurt a lot. It was infected. My recovery took a week. I had a cyst around my impacted wisdom tooth. I was referred to an OMS to have it removed. I was so worried. I wish I would have taken care of this when I was younger. Some things get better with age. Your wisdom teeth are not one of them. Make an appointment with an oral and maxillofacial surgeon today to evaluate your wisdom teeth. When caring for your wisdom teeth, pain-free does not necessarily mean disease-free. Visit myoms.org to find an OMS near you. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.com.
www.thepeopleshow.org. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stars on Sports. I am joined by our assistant AD and baseball coach, Stephen Cutter, and today we will be discussing weather's impact on our athletic program. That was a different topic than I had prepared heading over to our recording, but it's very relevant to what we're dealing with when we are recording this broadcast. It impacts many sports. We're heading into the spring season or into the spring season with spring starting in, in January for our spring sports season, but... Um, weather is very impactful on, on our athletic program and on our society. Everyone talks about climate change and, and the impacts it has on many areas of our lives, but I'm not sure everyone realizes how impactful it is on athletic practices, contests, day-to-day management, and, and it's come a long way with technology. But even you being a, a baseball coach, I know it impacts you significantly. But I think people forget that it also impacts our indoor sports. We have cancellations in the winter. You know, we have impacts other sports, the, the extreme of heat and cold and, and rain and drought. So I think it's very relevant. We're, you know, in Michigan, it seems like our winters are getting later, which impacts spring. And that's significant, especially at the college level where we start earlier. You know, I'm again from the high school level where we, you know, this is their, you know, when we're recording this, this is their first week of the spring season. And it's still stuff on them starting a month or two later than us. And a lot of different possibilities and solutions out there, but it's hard to find a solution that everyone will agree with or might work better for one sport or the other. But it's chilly out there and it's hard to be outside in, in the weather we're dealing with, and especially in Michigan when it goes, you know, you, you get 60 degrees one day and then 17 the next day, or it's snows in the morning and it, it's gone in the afternoon, but um, it's what we have to deal with. It, it, it puts us at a competitive disadvantage when you compete at a national level and it's been discussed at the national level. Weather, Stephen, what do you think? You know, it's always sunny in the athletic office on the fourth floor, but unfortunately that's not the case when we look out the window. Well, I think as a coach, you, you 
really need to focus on those things that are within your control and you're also a problem solver. So when it comes to the weather, there's not a whole lot that we can do about it. Everything seems to be really fluid since 2020. So there's a lot of cancellations and games being made up the next day at a new facility at a, you know, a different place, whatever it might be. So when it comes to the weather, it's one of those things where it's not the best, but it's certainly not the worst. We've been able to get outside a fair amount. And then, you know, at the time of this recording, we, we just came back from our spring trip where it was, you know, 85 degrees when we're playing. So we come back and we have snow. So what do you do? You you practice indoors. You you can still do a lot of things. You just might not be able to do everything. And um, when it comes to the weather, instead of getting all wrapped up into, you know, how cold it is or how warm it is or, you know, anything else like that, we just try to focus on the processes and doing what we can with what we're given. And you brought up a good point that this has been talked about, at least at the national level, with collegiate sports of moving the, the spring sports further, starting them later. And as things typically go, if it happened at the college level, then it would filter down to the high school level. And I think Eric Backage at Michigan was a big proponent of moving the college baseball season to a later start date which would then move the College World Series to a later start date, which then, when I'm speaking on just baseball, then that changes the MLB draft and all that kind of stuff. However, Eric, when he was at Michigan, you know, obviously he just left and went to a warm weather state to coach baseball. So I'm, I'm not sure where he stands on it now, but what are your thoughts on moving all that stuff? Well, if you can't change them, join them, right? That's what he ended up doing. You're right. You just have to deal with it. But it is it, it creates a very difficult situation you know you're dealing with where it might be a little warmer where your opponent is it might be a little drier where your opponent is our league has a policy of 36 degrees or you can't play if it's colder than that but and we use a specific app to determine that but there are just so many different variables that people use that it makes it difficult you try and make a decision before the their other opponent bus leaves and but that 36 isn't even followed because maybe that 36 is at noon when when people are making those decisions for umpires and buses leaving and things like that but when game times typically start in the early afternoons and then they take up until you know dinner time or sometimes past that the the temperatures are insanely cold it does. And it definitely gets colder as the night goes on. And it's just like snow days. It seems like if you always want that first snow day, the conditions might not be as bad, but you call it. But then if you get five snow days in a boat in a row, then you're, oh, it's it, you got to go to school the next day. And same with spring sports. If, it, if we have enough cancellations, at some time you have to play and, and deal with the best situation. I'm glad our league tries to have certain parameters in place to take it out of people playing competitive games with each other. But it isn't easy, and that all adds to trying to play in the spring here in Michigan. And you and had a you had a set of umpires last year that did not want to ump the I think it was softball games because they felt it was too cold. And and then what did you have to do at that point? Well, I went over and talked to them and explained our league policy and showed them the app and that the temperature at that particular time was. But they weren't um, they weren't happy with that. Were they, they weren't happy and they ended up agreeing to do it, which I was appreciative. It, it's tough. It, again, that's just another dynamic. It, it, even your you know event workers, when we were at our previous baseball facility, they didn't have shelter. So it was tough on your announcer and scoreboard monitor to sit out there in the yeah. cold and just sit there. It's hard it, to believe that we couldn't find announcers to announce it, outside it, in the in the element. 
elements. Yeah. I was buying Crazy. them hot chocolate, Crazy. you know, running yeah. across the street. But but as far as moving the season later, I understand both sides. I mean, you talk about the draft, but you also talk about summer activities. Um, you talk about some, moving farther some, away from the end yeah. of the academic year and being an educational activity. You know, we, we do have summer sessions here at LCC, so it doesn't impact as much. But, you know, just the traditional of sending kids home for the summer, although we know in sports nowadays that's not the case for a year round and there's a lot of other activities in the summer. So and in the South wouldn't be in favor. It takes an advantage away from them that, you know, they're when you go down and play, they're played 20 games already and they start in January. We're trying to jam them in in a, in a shorter amount of time. So you deal with that, a, a scheduling issue. You run out of time. And last spring was one of our worst in, in my career. It was just, I think I only wore, I didn't wear my winter coat or hat three games last year. And that's not fun for anybody. I mean, when you think of growing up and going to your first Major League Baseball game, it's sunny and 75 degrees, the grass is freshly cut, and you, you walk into the stadium and see that awe. And, you know, we don't see that till you know, late April here, but we're already toward the end of our season. So I wish we could do something, and, and that's just baseball and softball. The same is true for our track team. I mean, last year it was tough for our sprinters to find a good meet to, to run their best time because it's cold. That you know they could pull, they could get injured and, and pull a hamstring. And and the same for our field events and, and distance runners, where again in the south they're you know they're running in much better conditions. But that's what we deal with. I love the four seasons. I just wish they aligned more with our athletic seasons. You know, once I like the snow, I like a white Christmas, but then I'm ready. I like skiing, but then I'm ready once, you know, our sports get outside for our student athletes. I'd like the, the weather to cooperate more, but that's something we can't predict. And back to your point, that's a difficulty thing. Technology has definitely helped us. Um, there's apps out there. I met with a company a couple of weeks ago that had a product that makes my computer look like a meteorologist. They put a weather station up at our on our campus. I have all the radars. I have the how far the lightning is away. I have what's coming in. And it's just incredible how far we've come, but it's still tough to predict. I've been burned on both sides where I've called a game and it's 70 and sunny when we were supposed to play, or I don't call a game and they come and then it starts pouring as soon as they get, get off the bus. So it's stressful. It definitely adds stress to trying to provide a, a great event. But in the end, it, you want your student athlete to have a good experience, and, and weather does impact that. I mean, we there's proven study that sunshine is good for your health. January and February are two of your toughest months in the in the state of Michigan, I believe. With even in sport, dealing with people, you know, not you know maybe not being as cheery or happy when they come to the events and. In those months, we deal with it with basketball. We we canceled games this year because of the snow and, and icy roads, and it's difficult to reschedule them because of the, the routine schedule that you're on. So it impacts every sport. Heat, not an issue lately, but there's been too many heat deaths in sports across the country over the last 10 years, and, and they're all preventable. And I've had some serious scares where it's gotten really hot in the late afternoon and a lot of activity going on that we have to monitor the heat index at the high school level, which is very fortunate. And we monitored it, but each, each body type is different and, and dealing with that. So it's tough. It's not fun, but I like your approach to make the most of it. I feel like I'm a negotiator on those days, negotiating with the opponent on whether they want to come or don't want to come dealing with our coaches on whether they will play and want to play. Are is the team good? Is the team not good? Is it a win? Is it not a win? Not that those should have any variables in making those decisions, but they all come into play. Have we played in a week? Have we not played in a week? Can we find a date to make it up? 
it just adds a lot of difficulty to your schedule. So how was how was it down south? Well, you know, we started this spring trip and we went a little bit south and we played in 37 degrees and, and cloudy. So, you know, I, I guess we didn't go far enough south to begin with. But then eventually we ended up down near Biloxi, Mississippi, and we traveled around and, and stayed on the uh, on the beach down there. And it was it was a great trip. We had really good weather. It was it was challenging. I mean, we got an opportunity to play the number one team in the country, a team that knocked us off in the College World Series last year. And we're playing game three of the season for us, and they're playing game 17, you know. And so that goes back into the weather stuff. It's it's just one of those things that instead of being like, um, you know, poor me or the pity card or the victim mentality, we just kind of look at it. How can we find competitive advantages? If we're inside, we're inside. There's nothing we can do about it. But what can we do to find a competitive advantage when we're inside and other teams are outside? And you can find solutions out there. You just got to be willing to look for them versus, you know, somewhat going around and complaining about how bad the weather is today or, or this week. We're supposed to have at the time of this, we're supposed to have our home opener a week from today. There's there's snow on the ground, you know, and, and so is that going to happen? Hard to say, you know, it's Michigan. If it gets canceled, we'll, we'll maybe we'll move it to another facility that has turf or something like that. But you just you kind of got to roll with punches. And, and it's difficult in this area. There's not as many full field indoor facilities like there are across the country. But, you know, our softball team went and scrimmaged at an indoor facility before they went south and you tried to go not as far south and play. And it's still difficult. Even when you went down south, you might run into rain and, and cancel games, not maybe the cold weather. And it adds up in expenses. I mean, many schools try and find some southern trips and that's, a, you know, you do a lot of fundraising or the college, you know, put in increased costs of transportation and meals and it's difficult official that's just difficult on the on the financial impact of playing games of going down there and maybe not being able to play because the weather washes you out or finding a, a, a facility that you have to rent to play so weather definitely causes havoc on athletics as it is in our society across the world you see some devastating stories in the news and i don't wish that on anybody and i'm thankful that you know we at least get to play and and make the most of it but it, it's a difficult thing to navigate through and it, it can it can be an expensive thing it can be a stressful thing it can be a, an unhappy thing but it is what it is and we can work to, to create change but i think that's an uphill battle being a northern school and and trying to um persuade the rest of the country that you know one part of the country you know needs a schedule change and even at the lower level i mean because you lose kids before they get here if they don't have a good experience I and mean, one of the most telling statistics i saw is 75 percent of kids quit sports by the age of 13 you know might go to another sport or something but even at the lower wet levels it, it's important that they have a positive experience and we know how the weather impacts that it's it's funny i, I saw a thing like in november you know when it's still warm out you know 40 degrees feels cold and you want to cancel it. So you play some fall ball and you're thinking we'll play in 40 degrees. But in the spring, you know, it's like, man, I'd take 40 degrees in a heartbeat. Let's go out and play in 40 degrees. I mean, we've been dealing with 15 degree weather. So even our own, you know, mindsets change because of where we live and and how to deal with weather of what we tolerate or don't tolerate. And the bodies really tend to adapt really fast. You know, we were, we had warm temperatures, high sevens, low eights, and then we traveled to Tennessee and it was about 61 degrees and 
people are in sweatshirts and coats and it's cold, you know, and so they adapted over about a week, got used to the warm weather and then all of a sudden it's cold at 60. But the same thing, that's where that competitive advantage comes in. If you just get used to it, when you get used to playing at 38 degrees and it might not be the best thing in the world, but you really do get used to it. And then pretty soon when that sun comes out and it's 42, you know, the, the, the guns are out and it, everybody's feeling great. And, and so bodies really tend to adapt pretty quickly to it. I agree with that, but out of that, our cross country national championship in Tallahassee, Tallahassee in November. And it was, they ran early in the morning, the, the, like, Stay away from the heat and the humidity, and they're still, it impacted the race. I mean, there were some teams that some of their best runners did not finish because of the humidity after running, you know, a 5K or 8K, and it impacted the results because of humidity. And, I mean, at the finish line, they had great medical care there, but they were definitely dealing with runners that were fatigued or dealing with heat exhaustion, Thankfully, I don't think any heat strokes, but there's different levels of, of heat and a, a lot of technology nowadays that help with managing those. So there's some limitations there with mm -hmm. some of that, but we did see it in our own hometown. Mel Tucker took the Michigan State football team out to Washington and they went out there early to get acclimated to the time zone change and the weather and everything else. It did not work out for them in that experience as, no. as far as the scoreboard mm -hmm. goes. But I think they're on the right page. If you can get into an environment and get acclimated to it, it's going to be super helpful. If you just fly in and and try to you know get used to it right away, it it's not going to happen. It's going to affect you. And just like you talked about in those, it, it's well, definitely a, a funny people. side note to that story is we did get in there early to, to adjust to it, but it rained the day before. We couldn't even get on the course because it was too muddy. So again, just weather impacting in so many extremes. And to your point of what Michigan State has done is very helpful to all levels. Sports science has really helped us in studying and teaching. And we even have you know exercise physiology here on LCC's campus in a lab here that they are studying those kind of impacts on an athlete's body, which really helps prepare and, and put us in a better position to take care of the health and safety of a student athlete by acclimating to the different variables that they will face. So yes, we've come a long way in that way. And even you know, in your practices, the simulation and the, and the, the other ways that technology has helped us to be indoors. I mean, how do, how do you judge a a third baseman if you, you're in a small facility and they, they don't have the, the distance to throw from third to first? You know, technology has helped. Again, there's no substitute for actual being outside and being on a field and even maintaining a field. I mean, you, you experience that. Our baseball and softball coaches do a lot and our cross-country coach does a lot and in, in, in taking care of their their facilities so that they are able to play. If it's raining, you guys are out there early in the morning spending you know, resources on getting the field ready. It, it's, they're difficult facilities to maintain outdoors too, whether it's a, a soccer field that's all grass, the goal areas can beat up, whether it's a cross-country course or, or track and field event areas for puddles. And, I mean, firsthand experience with baseball and softball, the dealings with of, of what rain can cause to your facility on whether you can play. It could be 70 degrees and sunny to be able to play, but your field's too wet. I mean, that's what we'll deal with when all this snow melts. It'll be too wet that play in some of these facilities. So just, just a lot of different impacts from the weather that create havoc on our sports and, and student athletes.
Yeah, as I said, we're a week out from our home opener. So this week we'll be out there putting up banners and windscreen and 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 doing all that stuff. And you know, we we still have a solid three four inches of snow on the field. So how do you mow the grass with snow on the field? Um, we'll we'll shovel first, <laughs> and then we'll go from there. But you know that that's just part of it. You you just you deal with it and you know hope for the best. Well, that's one of the nice things about athletics, and we've talked about this in many of our podcasts, that it teaches life lessons, and that's just another adversity that you have to overcome that will prepare you. And, and again, it's not how, what happens to you, it's how you respond to it. But in my experience, whether it's been one of the more challenging ones to work through, because it can make people very unhappy in a short amount of time that you have to, to try and navigate and manage through. Well, that's that's good conversation, and I hope we have sunny days ahead, and and that start to turn seventy, and and a lot of sunshine for our, all our student athletes to get outside. But thanks, um, good conversation on weather, and until next time, go stars. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ Studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Stars! of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in April to the Black Box Stage, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents Tartuffe, a classic comedy play written by Moliere. This play revolves around Tartuffe, who is a fraud and pious imposter that manages to win the respect of a prominent household, only to follow up with scandalous deeds. Tartuffe will be featured April 12th through the 16th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. My name is Joe Thompson. I'm 29 years old and I have a career that I love as a systems analyst. Career. It still sounds cool to say that word. I never could have gotten on this path without a college degree. And if the college me were here, he'd tell you. I never would have gotten to college without Big Brothers Big Sisters. I could have ended up anywhere, on the streets even. But college? Joe Thompson? Not likely. My big brother helped me out. He taught me I could do anything. At a time when a lot of people were saying just the opposite. And to a seven-year-old, that means a lot. My big brother's name is Phil. And Phil is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a systems analyst. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. And that can last a lifetime. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The Modern Warehousing Program through the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College is an industry-led program that prepares individuals for frontline material handling and supply chain logistic positions in medical centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and factories. Those who complete this program can earn multiple certifications. 
Visit lcc.edu slash JTC training for more information. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.